0: Hi, I'm Dan Feldman. We have a stacked episode for you today. Not only do we have a Pelicans preview and a Rockets preview, we also have a free sample of my daily dunks. The dunks are available Monday through Friday for Dunked on Prime subscribers in your inboxes, in post form, and audio. This is the first free sample we've released of the audio. To get this content and more, you can subscribe to Dunked on Prime at dunkedon.supportingcast.fm we've continued our john hollinger sale for another week please
1: check it out all right it's time to talk new orleans pelicans first time guests uh, really excited to have him on will guillery how you doing man i'm doing
2: well man i appreciate you having me on
1: absolutely oh man that new orleans accent i just i miss it so much from college
2: i try to hide it as much as i can but you know i'm born and raised man it's in me
1: Nah, there's no there's no reason to hide it's one of the best accents in the country okay so this is the weirdest thing uh when i first got down in new orleans like there were some guys that you know i was going to school with the tulane that sounded like just like they had new york accent it's like a very discreet like i don't know maybe like a 10 square block area of, like, Irish people in New Orleans. Like, have you ever heard these guys that sound like just like they're from New York? It's crazy.
2: <laughs> no, but I'm guessing they, they might have something to do with Shell Met. That sounds like something that'll go on. Uh, I'm Met trying to think of where. Irish.
1: I mean, I, I looked at this map once of accents and... Uh, but yeah I mean this this guy was like are you from New York he's like no I grew up like 10 blocks from here what the fuck are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's
2: usually the response when you ask a New Orleanian if they're not from New Orleans like are you crazy I I mean I was crazy i New Orleans to the bone
1: I I was 18 years old I didn't know what what I was talking about Um, All right, we (laughs) we are going to be a little truncated here um, because the New Orleans Pelicans decided to schedule their practice at the same time we originally were going to record so let's get right into it here and uh, i'm not gonna mess around anymore how's zion looking
2: he's looking good man i i made the joke a couple times but uh anytime you ask people around a team how he looks it's usually just a, a audible sound just like oh whoo something like that is just like th- th- they're so excited about everything he's doing the way he's moving on the court i think his spirit more than anything i think that's a the, the big thing a lot of people are excited about i think he was just in a really bad place emotionally last year dealing with an injury where it just felt like it just refused to get right. You know, it took him a full year to finally get back to to full, you know, basketball activity. So once he was able to really get back to playing basketball again, I think it really lifted his spirits. And the fact that he's, you know, in the best shape of his career, I think he's feeling good about where he's at in the team is excited about what he can do.
1: Yeah. So as I've watched him, I think it's looked when he's attacked, like pretty close to where he was. Two years ago, you know, the statistical performance like hasn't quite been there uh, in in terms like it hasn't been that crazy dominant preseason like we saw his before his first season where you and then, of course, he came down with the injury. And he's never quite looked that way athletically to me again after that. But uh, at least relative to where he was a couple of years ago, like I don't notice a huge difference necessarily. I mean, does it seem like he's just kind of trying to ease his way in? a little bit more I mean because Valanchunas and CJ weren't on this team the last time he was here
2: right even beyond that I mean he hasn't played with Jose Alvarado in a real game Herb Jones you know basically most of this team he hasn't played in a real game with so I think the big thing for them is just kind of figure out what type of sets to run with him you know where to get him the ball how to get him the ball moving and some of their sets and i think the one thing you've really noticed with him is the handle just isn't quite where it was maybe Mm -hmm. that point zion season he's losing the ball a little bit i think some of that is just just getting used to playing again playing around bodies he wasn't playing a whole lot of five on five during the summer and also the finishing around the basket i thought that's something that was really underrated especially during that second season the 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 all-star point zion season oh yeah where a lot of people were talking about the Dunks and obviously and all that, and him shooting sixty percent, but just his understanding of the angles and how to you know hit the backboard in the right spot to get around people in the lane. I think he, it was so unique for a guy his size to finish at the basket on layups the way he did that season, and, and it just hasn't been there quite yet this preseason. But I think part of that is also is just getting back in the floor, things getting used to playing. Um, But like you said, you see the force when he's driving, you see him making the plays where he jumps in the air and bumps a guy and the other guy goes flying 10 feet in the other direction. So you love to see that stuff with Z, but it's just kind of getting some of his finesse. Back, uh, that i think it, take, it might take a little bit more time
1: yeah I mean, and that season i think is underrated what he did two years ago like he should have made all nba to me he was like the, the offensive numbers the second half of the year with him on the floor were absolutely insane considering he was playing with you know a center who couldn't shoot and eric Bledsoe a lot of the time they just had no shooting <laughs> on that team and yet he was just powering through guys so how do you think he's gonna be used This year, like, are we going to see as much of that uh, on the ball, or are they going to try to give the ball more to CJ and Ingram, and let Zion work off the ball more?
2: Yeah, I don't think we'll see nearly as much point Zion as we saw in 2021. And like you mentioned, part of the reason why they leaned into it so much that year is because they had Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball, two guards who they didn't win around run, pick and rolls with. So it was basically Brandon Ingram and Zion was the, one of the only guys who can create shots on that team. But now you play with Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Jose Alvarado. So they have guys who can create and pick and roll on this team. So you don't have to rely on Z as much. Uh, so I think you're going to see more of him setting screens, him coming off cutting baseline. I think him uh, playing that two-man action with Jonas Valanciunas, I think it's something we're going to see a lot this year because they're just going to put teams... In tough positions because I mean, just going to the game, who are you going to put your center on? You know, is it going to be Jonas yeah. or Zion Williamson? Because whoever doesn't have the center on them is probably going to have a size advantage. If you try to, like, during that 2021 season, a lot of teams got away with putting smaller guys on Steven Adams because he might beat you up on the offensive boards, but he's not going to really score 15, 20 points off of those offensive boards, right? And, and with Jonas Valanciunas we've seen it. He's a guy that put up 30 and 15 in big games while he was in Memphis. He had, he, he, he kind of swung that Phoenix series in a, in a couple of different ways once they allowed him to start attacking JaVale McGee with those second units. So that's a guy where you have to worry about him as a defense, but it's hard when Zion's just kind of physically dominating some of these fours the way he can. So I think that's going to be something where uh, Willie Green has kind of stressed us. Even last year with Brandon Nick. he wants to use guys in a bunch of different ways. He doesn't want to be as predictable as they were in 2021 under Stan Van Gundy. And I think that's something you saw with BI. And I think you'll see that a lot with, uh, with Z this year once he kind of gets back into the flow.
1: That's one of the biggest questions I have about this team is what is that front court fit gonna look like with the second guy next to Zion we'll start with Valanchunas are there is there a feeling that like both those guys are they gonna be kind of on either block inside the arc are we gonna see more of Valanchunas spotting up which he did on occasion last year like he had that game I think against the Clippers where he was like coming off screens and hit seven threes but you know it wasn't taking a ton of them I think it was like two or three for 36 minutes like nothing crazy So what is the interplay between those guys going to be both on offense and then defensively as well, where neither of them have really been stalwarts thus far in their careers?
2: Yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, JV is a guy who can knock down jumpers if you leave him open. I think his three-point numbers kind of dropped uh, during the second half of the season. Uh, A big part of that was, I think, just he was playing way more minutes than he did basically most of his career Mm. last year, just because with no Zion, he had to just carry more offensively. Uh, So I'm interested to see if he can get back to that 20, five minutes a game type of flow and whether he'll be able to just just last a little bit longer through the course of the season so he's the guy who can spot up and he can run some dribble handoff action with cj and bi so he'll be out of the lane Somewhat, But I think Z's a guy I think they want to use Zion and as a cutter off the weak side off of those JV post ups. Uh, they want to use some some two man game with those two guys. So I think they can kind of figure it out. But I think for me, the bigger question is just how they defend with those two guys oh, on the court, yeah. because because JV a guy, uh, he's a big body. He, he played with a lot of effort last year. I thought he showed some improvement defensively. Uh, but I think he's still a target at times of pick and roll, you know, against some of these smaller guards who can make plays. And, you know, if Zion isn't much better than he was in 2021, I think it could be an issue with both of those guys out there. I think the good thing you've seen with Zion is he's been more active as a help defender, blocking some shots, getting some of those chase downs. I think you see him playing in the passing lanes going after steals, kind of like that, that Duke Zion we saw uh, when he was in college. I think they want to see more of that, him just being aggressive on defense. So I think that'll alleviate some issues. But uh, those guys have to be able to defend when they're on the court together. Uh just because they're, they're just better. They're a better offensive team when those two guys are playing. I think you like what Larry Nats brings as a kind of change of pace, backup big, who can bring some versatility. Uh Billy Hernan Gomez is a double, double machine whenever he gets minutes, but he obviously has his weaknesses on defenses. But I think when JV and Zion are out there together, they can be really dangerous, but they just got to find a way to defend and kind of not just be two different targets out there. Uh, JV is going to have his weaknesses, but Zion just has to be much better.
1: Yeah. And I, I think particularly as a help guy that Zion and he's made a couple of nice steals in these situations where he uh, guys will drive, try to throw the ball to the corner and he's able to track back from further up the court and make the up the court and make the interception um hopefully that's something that can continue to evolve but i i'm i'm more in believe it when i see it mode with him defensively because he was really bad those first couple of years um you know i think he can be acceptable moving his feet but even then he doesn't have great length to get a contest uh, on a jump shot Uh, he might be able to contain the guy but then a lot of times the guy can shoot over him pretty easily um and then so the starters are going to be mccollum jones ingram zion jv you think
2: yeah for sure i I think that's their best five and i think uh, that's a dangerous group uh obviously we mentioned the big question mark is just can they defend in the front court with those two guys and how much improvement are we going to see from herb jones year two as a spot-up shooter as a guy who can just make plays when defenses leave him wide open because we saw some of that last year but we're going to see even more of it this year just because those other four guys can put up points right so if you just look at that five who's the one guy we're going to test it's going to be Herb Jones most of the time so he's got to be able to deal with that and I think you've seen some uh, growth in him with his confidence offensively he's continuing to improve as a spot-up shooter uh, but he's going to have to be able to make defenses pay if they leave him wide open
1: I think this is going to be a fascinating year on both ends for Brandon Ingram, and can he... I thought he had his best season last year. I mean that they were powerless when he didn't play last year. I mean, I thought statistically last year was the first time that his team was really playing better when he was on the floor. He's a really important player for them, and I think they're going to need more of him as a complementary piece this season, though. I mean, it back in that series against the Suns, for example,
0: you know, he and
1: CJ were basically the only ones who could score and who could create, unless they're going to throw it to Valanciunas in the post every once in a while. But those are the only guys really who were attacking off the dribble and so he was on the ball he was taking a lot of mid-rangers his three-point shooting both in volume and percentage really fell off last year and you know i think he still has never had the impact defensively that his tools would suggest but now they really need him to be that secondary perimeter defender and not only that but to fly around and make plays to because they're probably going to have to suck into the paint for a lot. They're going to give up penetration uh, in pick and rolls with Valanchunas, and Ingram's going to need to be the guy recovering a lot of those times and also guarding the other team's second best player, because CJ's probably not going to be able to do that. So I think they have cj they have zion you know ingram is you know kind of the number two ish option uh if you're gonna say zion is number one although i guess we'll have to talk about that but that's what i want to see from ingram is just a continued approach that allows him to fit around other players but also get his own offense at times that well as well maybe even at the end of games he can be their number one guy but i think he's got to really be a complementary piece when all of those guys are on the floor together
2: yeah and, and i've said this dating back to 2021 the consistent. Thing with Zion and Bi is they just have to play with consistent effort, right? That's the big thing. Those guys have the tools; they just have to bring it every single night. They got to be committed to being the low man when they when they're helping in pick and roll situations. They got to commit to actually, you know putting in the effort when they're switched out on smaller guys, they got to put in the effort, hitting the boards. When JV's tied up, you know, they they just got to consistently go out and do it every single night. I think for those two guys, they had to carry so much of an offensive load in the past. And I think that's the good thing about this team is they won't have to carry as much because of CJ, because of JV, because of Jose Alvarado, Trey Murphy, they have more weapons. So they don't need those guys to score 30 every single game. But on, in turn, when you can, when somebody of is off of you offensively, you got to use that effort on the other end. And I think a big part of that is just the culture they're trying to put in, put in by, uh, with Willie Green. I think he's something that's something he's harped on from day one is defense, kind of establishing that that accountability on defense that's where you saw some of bi's improvement last year because it was just a team-wide thing everybody's playing harder everybody's committing so I think bi kind of fell in with that and I think you see a little bit with Zion as well doing that just because guys are if guys around you are playing hard it, it stands out when you're the guy that's not yeah. helping or you're not a guy bouncing uh, boxing out you know so I, I think just everybody you know pitching in I think is going to get those guys to, to rise up but uh, you're right. In those big game moments, those guys are gonna be called on to make big plays defensively and they, they've got to do it. And I think that's what's gonna get this team to the next level. Cause we know they can score with anybody. They they've got offensive weaponry up and down the lineup. But if you can't get stops in the West, it's going to be tough because there are too many good teams out there uh, and they're more experienced than this Pels team.
1: How's the rest of this rotation going to shake out for Willie Green, you think, other than that starting five?
2: Yeah, I think for sure Trey Murphy is going to be the number one wing off the bench. I think he's going to be a guy who they call on a lot this year to be that spot-up option, you know, away from Zion, be a guy who can take some of that one-on-one defense stress away from Herb Jones, kind of being yeah. that secondary so, so you, guy. you think
1: he he's at that level though? huh Uh, as a defender this year. I think that's what they hope. Yeah. yeah. That's
2: what they hope. I don't, I don't think he's a guy who you can say, yeah, we're playing uh, Michael Porter or Kevin Durant. One of those guys, we're putting Trey Murphy on him and we'll be fine, but he can be another guy who, who kind of takes some of those minutes away from Herb Jones. I think Jose Alvarado's for sure your backup point guard. Uh, We're going to see some more of Jose Hyde on the sidelines trying to get steals this year, which is going to be hilarious. Uh, I think for sure you're going to see some Billy Hernan Gomez and uh, Uh, And Larry Nance, backup five, just kind of dependent on matchups. I think they want to use all of those guys, Jackson Hayes as well. Uh, I think they really enjoy the versatility they have in the front court. And then uh, the other guys, uh, Devontae Graham, I think is going to be really interesting because like I said, they want that three point shoot around Zion and B.I., but just having two small guards off the bench. Is going to be tough with Jose and Devontae and, and the other guy. I think they love Dyson Daniels. So I think the battle between Devontae and Dyson Daniels for minutes is going to be something to keep an eye on because we've seen it with Dyson already. He's got some great instincts on defense, but he's got some limitations on offense, which may make it tough for him to to, to nail down consistent minutes.
1: Yeah, just based on what we've seen so far in preseason and some of, some of the buzz out of camp Uh, Of those guys you mentioned, I think all plausibly could play or at least guys that the organization is invested in. Who would you say is ahead of whom as far as uh, being some of the primary bench options?
2: I would say Jose, Trey Murphy, and Larry Nance for sure yeah. are your 6th, 7th, 8th men. Uh, I think Devontae Graham is going to be in the mix most nights just because they're going to want that shooting, uh, just a score yeah. off the bench. Is Jose Alvarado, uh, is
1: he allowed to play before the 2nd and 4th quarters this year? Did they? <laughs> I would did, hope so. Did they, like, you know, because he was, he was on a two-way, did they feel like, oh, well, he's only getting paid half, so we can only play him half the game? Was that kind of the...
2: Oh man, the, the it drove me that. crazy during the playoffs <laughs> last year. Just like put him in and just sick him on CP. Like it was <laughs> it's so simple to me, but I don't know. It took, like I said, Willie Green is going to stick with his vets. So he's going to, he, he made sure to stay with Devontae Graham, even though he wasn't playing that well last year. I think he's going to do the same thing this year. Uh, He's going to stick with Larry Nance, Bill Hernan Gomez, those guys. But I think for sure the top three guys that you're going to see most nights off the bench, Jose, uh, Trey Murphy, and Larry Nance. And I think eventually they want to make Dyson Daniels one of those guys. Within that building, they love Dyson Daniels. They are very enthusiastic about that kid's future. Uh, They think just what he brings defensively. Uh, as another ball handler, a guy who can rebound and push the pace. They love what he brings. It's just he's very young. You know, he's 19, played in the G League last year. He's still learning his way. So I think they're going to bring him along slowly, but they really love him as a core piece of what they're doing for the future.
1: Yeah, he definitely is an intriguing defensive piece. And this is a team that doesn't have a ton of passing on the perimeter. I think he provides that. But the shooting's a question mark. But in Fred Vincent, we trust, right?
2: I'm telling you, man, he's a miracle worker. He's out there working with Fred Vincent every day, along with uh, Zion working on those free throws, uh, which he went three for 12 in one of those preseason games. So they got some more work to do with that. But yeah, those are the two guys you see with Fred every day, Zion and and Dyson Daniels. And we're going to see that probably all season.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the big questions questions that i have and you mentioned there's a, the a deep team and then even some of the guys that i would say shouldn't necessarily be every night options like Devonte is one they traded a first round pick for him they, they gave him a nice contract uh jackson hayes number eight overall pick uh, he's extension eligible i'm guessing now that they extended larry nance they're probably not going to get something done with him due to some of their tax concerns but Willie Green, you know, I think he should have gone away from those guys earlier in the playoffs than he did. I thought he at times struggled to find the right combinations. Other times it worked out really well. I I wouldn't say overall, he did a bad job in the playoffs, but I I think finding particularly on a team like this, where you have a lot of small guards, Zion is a really extremely talented, but also a difficult piece to fit around. Valentunas, a traditional center is kind of in that as well. They really only have one guy I would say in the is like a stopper level, a guy on the perimeter. With Herb Jones, they don't really have a traditional point guard as well, though CJ took some strides forward there. So this is finding the right combinations for Willie Green, I think is going to be a very important theme of this season.
2: No doubt. And I think that's something like you mentioned, he struggled with at times as a rookie coach, as you would expect, right? A a younger guy hasn't been in that role before. I think something, especially early in the season, it seems like a whole different roster, but I had a whole bunch of conversations last year about, man, what are they going to give up on Thomas Sadoransky? When are they going to give up on Garrett Temple? You know, when are they going to stop doing these some of these things with the rotation where it's clear, like like you can make this change and get rid of some of the negatives. Yeah. And I think he, he was very slow to make some of those switches last year because I think he's a guy who's very loyal to his guys. Well, well and moreover,
1: he's a first year head coach, first time head coach. And these are people that the organization is invested in, clearly, right? I mean, like, they For sure. they could have just let Lonzo Ball go. Instead, they actually wanted to acquire Garrett Temple and Thomas Sadoransky. And, you know, Nikhil Alexander-Walker early on was someone that they were invested in and same thing with jackson hayes and Devontae graham they brought him in as i mentioned so it wasn't necessarily now once it gets to the playoffs i don't think this should apply necessarily but he had kind of established these kumbaya everyone contributes vibes and so yeah striking the balance between that the organizational development priorities and just hey what actually is going to win you basketball games on the floor for a team that is pretty deep it will be an interesting challenge for him
2: no doubt. And I think it's a conversation that's going to continue this year with Devontae and Jackson. Hayes. maybe more than last year with Ransky and Garrett Temple. But I think <laughs> a part of that conversation that needs to be had with Devontae and Jackson Hayes is, yeah, I mean, they're not going to say this publicly, but part of the reason you want to see these guys play is that so you can maintain their trade value, right? Yeah. So teams can look at these guys and say they still bring value to the court. They still can do things, especially at Devontae Graham, who had a down season last year. Uh, Jackson Hayes, who Really didn't find himself until they moved him to the four, and he was a- allowed to kind of be on yeah. the perimeter but a little bit I mean, the problem is the there's
1: there aren't any minutes at the four this year for him. Like he exactly, so that that's going to be interesting.
2: So I think that's going to be an ongoing thing. Is is it as much they want to play these guys because they think they can help, or do they want to play them because they want to show them off? To because I think that's the big trade. This team, if there's the, if there's a trade to be made on this roster, I think it's pretty clear: is Devontae Graham plus Jackson Hayes what can you get, Mm. right? I think that's the question. If you want to up if you don't feel like Trey Murphy is the right guy as your number one wing off the bench, if you want to get more of a veteran point guard uh, so you don't have to rely on Jose Alvarado, Dyson Daniels, what can you get for Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham? I think is going to be a big question for them. Uh, And I think they're not in a big rush to move those guys, especially uh, Devontae Graham. I think Jackson Hayes, his contract situation is what it is. Uh, he's going to be a free agent next year, and uh, they have already paid Larry Nance. So I don't think they're going to be in a big rush to give Jackson Hayes a big contract. Uh, but I think that's something that that they're going to have to review over and over throughout the course of this season. What kind of value can you get for Jackson Hayes and Devontae Graham? And is it worth it to move those guys? So would you just rather keep your depth?
1: Yeah, it's a little outside the scope of of this show probably but it's hard to imagine graham being on the team next year given that they are already over the luxury tax with 12 players yes. including what i assume will be their first round pick for next year and that doesn't include Hernan gomez uh either if they wanted to bring him back uh, on a team option so uh and it doesn't seem like this is a team that is going to be too eager to pay the tax i don't think they have uh in the no. benson era um and yeah. in the future
2: you're looking at herb jones new contract potentially a Jose Alvarado new contract in the future. So they've got a lot of financial considerations, you know, going and how you build this team moving forward.
1: Any other big themes that you've been focusing on or or that have come out of camp?
2: I think you, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but just CJ McCollum playing a different role this year. Uh, I think it was, we talked about it, you know, in a story I did with him when he first came to New Orleans, he kind of circled New Orleans because he, he, he liked the idea of coming to New Orleans and being less of a guy that needs to score 20 every single night. I think he, he, he's open to the idea of being that CP ish kind of guy where he controls the offense, gets everybody involved. I don't need to be pick and roll CJ, taking 18 shots a game. I think that's something he wants to do. And if he can kind of evolve his game I think that raises who he is uh you know just in the landscape of guards in the league uh if he can be that guy who you know is a veteran that helps these young guys and and makes everybody better uh, I think it changes just how his big picture how he's viewed and if he can continue to to, to just change his game up and show a different side of himself I think that's going to make this a much better team so I think that's something I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on
1: yeah, that's because uh, as noted, they don't necessarily have that traditional point guard and they could definitely use him in that role. And then off the ball too, just being even more aggressive as a three point shooter, which he started doing the last couple of years, really boosting up uh, that level to, you know, that nine three point times per 36 minutes type of level. Like, I think they're really going to need that and, you know, maybe less of the like mid range ISO CJ stuff um you know again maybe when he's playing with more of the bench guys or something then you you go more to that but when he's playing with the starters I think to kind of space out a little bit more and 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 that's just a a huge theme for me is just what is the pecking order going to be on this team and Zion has more ability than most inside players to like go get the ball and do something but how much how much are they going to be running plays for him How much can they get out in transition and get guys more looks that way? Zion pushing the ball. How much is that going to be? Some of them, are they going to be posting up Valanchunas at all when they run pick and roll? Are they going to run it with Valanchunas and then... Zion's kind of in the dunker spot you know I, I kind of like I don't actually don't mind Zion spacing out a little bit because if you leave him and you throw in the ball yeah he's not going to take a three-pointer but if you're not in front of him he's just going to barrel into the lane and he can he's got that great change of direction to avoid the charge and score like if you let him get ahead of steam you're dead so I think he does have a gravity to him even if he's not going to make shots so you know that's something that could be really interesting is pick and roll with JV on one side and then swing it to the other side and let Zion attack uh, against a scrambling defense. So I I think there are ways to get it done, but you do think maybe there's, this has the potential of devolving into a few too many Ingram and CJ mid Rangers and not enough Zion. Like that's, uh, that's a possibility to me uh, that I think they're gonna have to guard against.
2: Yeah. And I think uh, like you, like you mentioned, I think, a lot of times I've always said watching Zion, I think he's even more dangerous when you give him kind of that that uh, run start to the basket rather than just kind of treating him like an actual three point shooter. Just because once he's able to get that one, two and, and lift, it, it, you're almost dead at that point as a defender. There's not much you can do. Uh, so I think you're exactly right there. And also, I, I've always kind of been hesitant. Because I think that's been an ongoing conversation since those guys got here, kind of the who's the one, who's the two, B.I. versus Zion. And, And I think that's been an ongoing conversation. And what I've always said is that Zion is so different from most superstars is because he's able to get his baskets in a lot of easy ways where you don't have to directly run offense through him for him to get his shot attempts like he get his. Through transition, through offensive rebounds, through pick and roll as a role man, I think he can get his stuff without necessarily being like, okay, post up Zion, we're going to ISO Zion on this play, which I, I think it allows Brandon Ingram and CJ to control the offense a little bit more than if you play with some of these traditional 25, 28 point scores. Uh, I mean, again, he's a guy who shoots 60% from the field, so he doesn't need a whole lot to, to yeah. get his, yeah. right? So, so I, I think he can. you can still have high-volume scores around Zion and still have him be a guy that averages 25 to 30 points a game. But like you said, at the end of the game, there, ne- there needs to be an understanding that this is the best offensive player on the team, and the offense needs to flow through him because he's shooting 60%, and they can't stop him.
1: Yeah.
2: So <laughs> we should get him the ball as much as possible. But I think, again, that's going to be something that's just an ongoing process for those guys, figuring it out. It's going to be the challenge for Willie Green, like you mentioned calling the right type of sets for Zion but I think just having Zion there it makes life easier again because you don't need to filter the ball through him all the time to get him his shots
1: yeah and given his health concerns and the fact that he uh, I'm sure is going to be limited some in terms of his minutes and limited some maybe in terms of back-to-backs that if he's not that number one option all the time particularly at the start of the year maybe that's not the end of the world but i think the hope is that he'll evolve to be that guy that he was at, at the end of the 21 season by the end of the year um who's gonna close games for these guys
2: I think it's the the five with, uh, with CJ, Herb, uh, Brandon Ingram, Zion. And I think on most nights you're probably going to see Larry Nance as your five man in that unit just because I think they're a little bit more switchable with that group. Uh, Larry's more of a natural spacer next to Zion. Uh, so I just think they like the defensive versatility Larry Nance brings. Uh, I think they closed a lot of games, more games than I thought they would with Jonas as the five last year. Some of that was they just needed his offense, right? But I, I think when, when you got everybody healthy, I think Larry ness probably just makes a little bit more sense as a closing five with this group, just because he's able to defend more guys. And it's a little easier just to switch everything with him at the five.
1: Yeah. And you'd see it at the end of that Phoenix series, not that Nance had a ton of success either, but you could see they're kind of drawing dead with, with Balanchunas at the end of games when you know, teams in the regular season don't really pick at that scab that much but at the end of games they will and so I, I do think that and that also gives uh, Zion more room to go to work uh, as well and we'll see whether Nance, he's another guy where he's kind of waxed and waned with the three-point shooting but he's never been that aggressive with it and I think you know he's got to shoot more mm-hmm. when he's open like he he loves to just you know go into the DHO to the next guy and he's pretty good at that you know I think that's something that they could try to run once someone gets the initial penetration that he can swing size but he also just needs to take that open pick and pop three uh I think that's going to be there for him a fair amount
2: I agree and he's the guy who's pretty good at going to the DHO, faking it, you know, driving the lane and kicking it to the guy in the corner. He does that a lot of times. So he he's good with the ball in his hands and he understands how to play with other guys. But I think you're right that he just needs to be more aggressive as a three point shooter. And also he's a guy who's dealt with a good amount of injuries the past couple of years. He's a guy who's got to stay on the court. I think it's going to be a big question for him. He's talked a lot during camp uh, this year about feeling better. He told us he felt he feels better this year. Than he has at any point before he got traded to Cleveland Mm. is what he told us. He said the past couple of years, his knee has been bothering him and he's played through it had surgery last year when he first got to New Orleans and he said this summer was the first time he really started to feel like himself again uh so I think that's going to be maybe the biggest question for Larry is can he just stay healthy uh, and play more than 45 55 games this year for this team
1: yeah another guy who maybe, assuming things are going well which maybe we shouldn't necessarily uh, is a guy that they can hopefully just ramp up more for the playoffs but during the regular year can kind of be on the 20 minute a game plan and they can get some more minutes for Jackson Hayes or or Hernan Gomez for example Um, I'm guessing we're probably not going to see much Zion at center Uh, even if you know putting in Trey Murphy for one of the centers and moving Zion to center would be pretty amazing and you would still have a lot of overall length there I just I think you're just They'll, they should try it. They should definitely try it. But I, I just don't think it's going to be too bad defensively.
2: Right. I, I agree with you that this should probably try it, but I've never been that big a fan of Zion at the five, to be honest with you. I think you mentioned it before, just he doesn't have that great length as the five where he has to play with so much more effort to consistently uh, contest shots to box out to get rebounds it's not as easy as it is for like a guy like Giannis who can just re- reach up and snatch rebounds a lot of times where I think it's much easier for Z when he's playing next to a bigger guy uh, to kind of get his uh, and, I, and it makes it easier for him to run the court get out in transition all that kind of stuff so I've always been a, a much bigger fan of him as the four playing next to a five but I mean like you said it before just him on the court with four guys who can space it's really hard to defend <laughs> you know he's gonna get to the lane so if you could put four three-point shooters around him uh, that's a dangerous offense but I think defensively at uh, leaves a lot to be desired with him at the five
1: so what are the big strengths and weaknesses uh, for this overall group I mean we've
2: talked about it a lot so far the big strength is just their, their depth they, they can go a legit 13, 14 deep and just feel comfortable with any of those guys on the court. And th- that allows them a lot of lineup versatility. They can play a bunch of defensive coverages. They can attack you with different offensive weapons. They can, they, they're going to look different almost every game just because of all the guys they can put on the court. And the big weakness is just, can they defend consistently with all of these offensive guys out there? And if they have to lean more on these defensive lineups with Larry Nance with a Herb Jones, can you score and space the floor consistently for zion williamson is the question uh so i think can you play defense and can you maintain this depth during the course of the season
1: yeah a few of the I, i'll echo those but a few i add obviously interior scoring i mean with found with, with zion i mean they're gonna they already kind of knocked some heads last year and now they're gonna really really do that uh, i think they should be pretty decent on the glass as well just the overall team size is going to be massive when you're thinking of Ingram as the two, basically that, that is a massive um, mid range scoring should still be pretty good. I mean, they shot a crazy percentage from mid range once CJ came over and th- that's definitely Ingram and CJ. Don't be
2: yeah. surprised yeah. if you see, C- if you see Zion taking a few more of those shots this year, yeah. too. I've talked to some people who say he's been working on that a lot. He hasn't showed it a lot in preseason, but I think we're going to see him shooting a few more of those pull up jumpers this year too.
1: Um, Let's see. What else is there for strengths? Uh, That's I would say that's probably about it. You know, you mentioned the depth as well. Um, I would say a weakness is uh, overall team passing is not amazing. And you mentioned CJ is trying to evolve there um you know zion was pretty good for his position we'll see how much he gets the ball nance can do some of that dho type of game but they don't really have someone that you would think of as like one of the one of the best passers in the nba for their position i'd say yeah i
2: think herb jones is a guy who they really believe can kind of be like a little bit of a i want to say like a poor man's draymond green maybe it's the wrong time to bring up that name (laughs) Uh, But kind of a guy who can be that mover, a guy who can do some, you know, quick kick ahead, make a play for another guy type of plays, maybe, you know, average, not average, but he'll get you four to five assists on certain nights where you wouldn't expect it. So I think they really trust him as a guy who can just make plays with the ball in his hand uh but you're right it, they don't have guys who you can consistently see moving the ball they just haven't done it uh but it's about i think they're coming in saying we have guys who we know can do it they they just have to play a little bit differently than they have the past couple of years
1: yeah and then obviously the rim protection and the defensive versatility that those are the things that stick out for me i mean you you'd like to be good at one of those two things right the defensive versus Lily you can prevent penetration so your rim protection doesn't matter as much or if they're getting there you at least can deter them and Valanchunas for all his size is probably okay-ish even when he's in position and he's obviously pretty slow and you know Zion still is is evolving as a help defender. Uh, you know Herb can do that stuff, but they also want him on the perimeter. The good thing is he could. It seems like he can guard all five positions simultaneously yeah, sometimes, but um, he
2: guards everybody. It's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Any other weaknesses they're going to be trying to paper over? You think?
2: Uh, like the one I mentioned before is just the, the the lack of size when you take Herb Jones off the court. Yeah. Uh, in that backcourt, I think uh, the Jose and Devonte group uh, they like it. I'm not a huge fan of yeah. it. I think the lack of size there can be an issue, especially if those guys aren't making shots. Uh, I think they're confident Devonte gonna, is going to be better this year than he was last year, but. I'm just the type I would rather see a uh, Dyson Daniels, a Trey Murphy playing the two next to uh, a Jose Alvarado rather than a Devontae Grant. But that's just me.
1: Yeah. And then just the health of Zion is, is something that he just says yeah, he's course. only made it through yeah. one full season out of out of three. So that that's something that's kind of a concern. And there, there's just a general something always seems to go wrong for this team um you know i i hope that's probably too reductive it's a a lot of different players on this team they've changed up the medical staff etc they've brought in a vet like cj to really help stabilize the group so hopefully that won't be the case this year um all right we got five minutes left here you want to get into some predictions
2: yeah let's do it you want to start off or you want me to start
1: uh well i was gonna say as we get through it what do you see them ranking in offense and defense
2: I really think they got a good shot of being a top-five offense this year if you get a healthy Zion wow. throughout the season. It's possible. I really think they can be that for sure. Just because, like I said, they got so many weapons, man, and it's hard to defend Zion when you have guys around him who are legitimate threats. And defensively, uh, I, I think I find it hard to believe they can be better than like 15 to 10 range. Uh, I, just saying that I, I don't really see them – having the defenders night to night to really shut teams down. I mean, but if you're a top five offense, you really don't need to, right? You can just have to be good enough most nights defensively. So I think I would say right around that 15 to 10 range defensively. And I think they're a legit top five offense just because of all the weapons they have.
1: All right. Well, I guess I'm guessing you're going to go pretty high on on the wins then. I mean, for me, I think they have the potential to be top five. But I also I think they're going to not get up a lot of three pointers. You know, you do run into a little bit of a math problem there. Uh, you know, I don't think they're going to be like amazing in the possession game necessarily. I think they'll, they'll get offensive rebounds, but probably not a ton of steals. I don't think other than Herb, they don't really have defensive playmakers to help there. I don't see them as an amazing transition team. Like Zion is, is a can grab and go, but he also has to actually get a defensive rebound <laughs> for that to happen first, which is, he's, he's not <laughs> been as good as on the offensive glass. So I think they're, they're definitely going to bludgeon people inside. They're going to be really good in the mid range. And, I, but I think they're going to have to have a little bit of a change in approach to get up more three pointers to get into that top five type of range. Cause there's just a lot of good offenses out there. I think it's definitely possible, but I just, I need to see how it's all going to fit together from a spacing perspective. Or can Valanchunas and Zion just bash their way through that lack of spacing anyway?
2: Right. For sure. I think that's a big part of his offensive rebounds, the uptick in free throws just because of Zion's there. And you know Brandon Ingram's gonna have to shoot more threes this year. Uh, I would say CJ as well. Jose Alvarado's got to make more threes. When you're playing with a guy like Zion, you got to have those spacers on the floor who can knock down shots for sure. So I think if they're going to be there, they got to knock down those threes and they got to dominate the boards, uh, live at the free throw line. That's that's their path. But I think. I mean, I'm telling you, man, that this is a really dangerous group when they're all healthy. And I think for me, if you're just looking at the West, I I would say they're probably somewhere in that five, six, seven, maybe eight range. Uh, I think, man, the West, when you just stack up all the teams, it's just
1: ridiculous. It's absolutely
2: (laughs) ridiculous. They have so many good teams in the West, and that's before you get to, like, a Portland who, like, really is dying to get back to the playoffs sure. this year. The Lakers, who the hell knows what's going to happen with the Lakers. The Kings would love to make it to the play-in, uh, play at least. Uh, I mean, there's just so much talent out there, but I think, like I said, if this is this could be a consistent Dominant offense I think they can be Somewhere in that six, seven, eight range They would like to Dodge the play in this year I think everybody's Going to say that In the West Do you want to oh, yeah. dodge The play in But uh, th- I think Considering what they Did last year In the play in You know Pushing the Suns In the first round They feel like They can build on that And get to 5-6 <sighs> It's tough Because there's so many Good teams out there But I think at the very least Getting a home game In the play in I think you can feel Pretty good Coming out of the season If you can At least do that uh, If you're the Pelicans
1: yeah and obviously make the playoffs as well and a lot will depend on what the matchup is in the first round they do have a lot of aspects that make them hard to play against but they also have some weaknesses that i think can can be attacked so uh, i think they're gonna be a little bit worse on defense than you again i acknowledge that and Herb Jones is really good like Ingram could take a step forward maybe Zion will just be like solidly below average and they can get something more out of guys like Hayes or or Nance can play a lot I mean Nance is a key figure to me he's the only guy of probably their five front court players that I look at as being above average and I think he's not quite what he was a couple years ago in Cleveland so I think just as good as Herb Jones is and as jose alvarado is a good pass; like he'll get you some steals uh but then they also have murphy i think it's not amazing uh, graham if he's gonna play is undersized cj is you know probably a little below average as well so you just add up the defensive talent it's just a lot of work for herb jones and nance and alvarado to do so i think they're gonna be more kind of in the 20 range defensively and I would say more they're kind of in the 5 to 10 range on offense. And then you also throw in the possibility of Zion getting hurt. And then I think they're kind of more, you know, an average ifs offense. And maybe they get a little bitter defensively. So uh, their over-under is 44 and a half. I'm going to go under on that. I'm going to give them uh, 44 wins this season, but that would be the eighth seed.
2: Yeah, I would probably be slightly over. So I think we're probably right around the same neighborhood. I think, like I said, they're probably seven, eight, something like that. So I can see them 46 wins, 47. But, you know, we're talking about a difference of maybe like three games <laughs> between us. So, you know, I think a big part of that, like you said, is health. Can you stay healthy with this group? Is how What's the look health look like with everybody else, you know, in the West? Uh, I think an interesting conversation too is just, the win banyana factor here and how much sure. he sways those bottom teams and how how bad those bottom teams are and how much does that add to the win total for everybody else uh, i think it's gonna be interesting as well uh so yeah uh, uh, but i think we've kind of covered it all you gotta stay healthy you gotta hope for some luck in the west and you gotta play defense and i think they could be right there in that seven eight range
1: all right man well thanks so much for coming on and uh, apologies to everyone we didn't get to go the full hour here but i figured uh 45 minutes of, of will guillery is better than uh is better than nothing for sure uh and we know you're a busy man we appreciate you coming on where can we keep up with what you're doing this year
2: absolutely follow me on twitter at will Gillery. that's g-u-i-l-l-o-r-y and uh follow all my work at the athletic man it's gonna be a fun year i'm looking forward to being back in that arena seeing what this team looks like man it's gonna be a fun season
1: all right and uh you, you keep that new orleans accent strong man we, we, we need we need <laughs> some joy in our lives
2: Yes, man, no doubt. I'm gonna try to bring it. Believe that.
1: (laughs) All right. Looking forward to seeing you this year. Thanks again.
2: Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All
1: right. I want to welcome on the Athletics Beatman for the Houston Rockets uh, and a man who dabbles uh, in some other things uh, as well. Just wrote a a nice feature on Paulo Banquero. Kelly Eco, how you doing?
3: Doing good, Nate. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this Rockets team, I'm excited to see them. They got a lot of really interesting young prospects. And I guess we can just dive right into it here. Uh, You know, we could project them a a little bit. Maybe it's not so much about how they're going to be as a whole on the floor this year winning games, but what have been the big storylines that people have been concentrating on out of camp?
3: I think the biggest storyline is obviously going to see Jalen Green in year two, trying to see the progression from his rookie season, particularly how he closed his first year in the league on a strong note, Um, being able to finally Unlock his three-level scoring, adding the mid-range game to his arsenal, being comfortable picking his spots on the floor. I think seeing how that translates to year two is is one of the biggest storylines coming out of camp. Number two, obviously, Jabari Smith Jr. Um, Slotting into that starting lineup. You know, he had a a great first preseason debut, but just kind of seeing... That 6'10 frame, how he can switch one through five, how he's supposed to make things easier on both ends of the floor because of his ability to space the floor, giving driving lanes to Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr., and just kind of being a a coach's guy. Um, Then obviously you, you look at other guys in the roster. Albert and Shang-Goon coming a full time starter. How he adapts to that role, how teams adapt to him, because his style plays a bit slower than what the Rockets typically want to do in terms of pace and space. But overall, just trying to see if this year is going to be the real year before the year before the year, if that makes sense. Like this is kind of the last year that Houston can be quote unquote bad before you know because they owe the pick to OKC going forward. Um, so this is kind of their last year to really be a young bad team
1: yeah and that plan it really has evolved almost exactly the way you would have hoped after the harden and westbrook trades where they've had now this will probably be their third year where they're getting a relatively high draft pick but as you mentioned then because of the trade to acquire westbrook they then have a pick that's only top four protected going to okc uh for next season so it does and they also will have as i project it right now 66 million in cap space depending maybe on what happens with kevin porter jr and his extension so last to unpack there you gave me a nice outline here for the podcast so we can we can just <laughs> roll with that uh let's start with with Jalen green and his projection in year two how's he looking this preseason and what do you think the odds are for him taking that next step this season
3: think they're pretty good i think when you look at his game so far he struggled in the first preseason game against um was it San Antonio? yeah but against you know miami last night and kind of against uh toronto he kind of showed why people are so high on this kid in terms of just his athleticism it's it's off the charts he's able to get into those pockets of space and and find things for other people and obviously his scoring panache is always going to be there but You want to see him take those improvements as a playmaker and and, and distributor and as a defender. Obviously, he gained 10 pounds of muscle over the summer, which is going to lend him well for the season. Um, But I think. I think all signs are trending upward for Jalen. He, he's a bright kid. He's a crazy worker. He wants to get better every day, and he understands, you know, the nature of the rebuild of, and being the face of a rebuild. You know, because this is a team and a franchise that essentially put all their trust and hope in this kid, and hopefully, he can, you know, turn the city around over the next three to four years. But right now, I think there's a lot of internal hope for him, and they are full believers in everything he has to bring to the table.
1: It was interesting watching him last year. He got off to a really rough start, then he missed time with the hamstring came back but really ramped up i think he had five straight 30 point games at the end of the season no one had done that since Allen iverson as a rookie and if you look at his overall stat line 24 usage about uh average efficiency and didn't turn it over that much like it's actually for that type of player that young guard age 19 given that much of a role, his personal stat line was actually pretty good. But then when you looked at the overall impact on the floor and yeah, he wasn't in the greatest situation with some of the lineups they were putting out there to be sure. But you know, his defense was really, really, really miserable uh, and, and hopefully getting strong will help with that. And so he was probably one of, the worst players in the nba just for like helping you win that doesn't I, I love him as a prospect but that's just kind of the reality last year so uh, but i think he's starting maybe from a better place than some people imagined and i thought he looked good in that preseason game last night like his jumper looks a little bit more compact and i think especially if he can just learn to attack quicker because his first step is so ridiculous like it, he could be a big time score even as, as early as this year
3: yeah and i think for year two, you're going to look at, you know, the second half of last year after the all-star break, Jalen averaged, I think, 22-4-4 four and four on 38% shooting from three on like eight attempts a game, which is pretty good for a young kid that's trying to step into that role as an alpha scorer, alpha leader on a team. And I think obviously last night he looked really good. Um, look more confident in his game. And I think to your credit about the, you know, getting into his actions quicker. That's kind of what John Lucas and Steven Siles have been preaching to him because he's so quick. He's so agile and he can just blow by you. You know, sometimes you want to see that a little bit faster and smoother, but he's 20 years old. He's 19 years old. Is he's going to take time to become the guy that they want him to be. But everything I've seen so far has been good from him. Obviously defensively he's going to have to improve because he's well, 180 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> But you know he he's not supposed to be a lockdown guy this early in his career. You know he wasn't. Yeah. He didn't come into the league as that kind of that kind of player. Um, and the the kind of guys that have been compared to him were not that coming to the league either. So um, I I've seen some stuff about people saying he's like an empty stats guy or projects to be, which I think is kind of ridiculous because it's not fair to put all these you know, ideals and expectations on a kid that's coming into a scenario where they've lost their franchise guy for years and James Harden, and they're looking for a direction and you, you're you trying to figure out what the next step is. I think he's been put in a situation where you kind of have to fast track his development as well because of the NBA waits for nobody. And, these re- and, we, and we've seen so many times over the years, a lot of, of these rebuilds don't finish because teams get frustrated. They, they, they get, you know, angry with themselves and they make mistakes over and over again. So I think for Jalen, um, going into year two, you're going to see a more confident, smoother guy who's going to be able to operate more pick and rolls, put in more of those situations and, and kind of find his rhythm you know, from game one to
1: 82. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw yesterday he was having a lot of success with some of those like Iverson style actions where he'll, he'll get the screen to pop out to the wing from the free throw right. line area. And like with Allen Iverson, if there's any space He doesn't even necessarily have to shoot. He just rip through and go. And as long as this guy isn't right in front of him, like he's able to just blow by him. I mean, that his acceleration is just absolutely like if he just takes two dribbles in one direction, like there's nobody who can keep up with him uh, on those moves. And so I think I've been encouraged where his shooting is. I, I was worried early on last year that maybe he wasn't the shooter that he showed in the G League, but he really came around. On that and he's had a couple of games now where he had, I think has hit five three pointers right. already in this preseason. And,
3: and part of that that jump shot was if you watched it closely, it seemed to be like a hitch almost, like yeah. a one two ish motion. And when he first came in the league, he was, you know, it was kind of a bad habit for him to, to just revert to that. But credit to John Lucas, who tried to work, you know, smoothing that jumper out. And if you look at the numbers again post all star break, you know, 38% on eight threes a game is pretty good you
1: know so yeah both, both uh, those numbers are really really good for, right for a rookie right. so and i I think that's part of maybe what you get playing with the g-league ignite is that he just he came in just more comfortable right with the that nba line but yeah i mean i i thought it, his form looks because he kind of he would bring it up a little bit on the left side of his body and kind of like put his left hand underneath the ball. And I think he's been able to kind of get away from that and just shoot it with less of a dip now. So, yeah, I mean, that's and to get that versatility shooting going right or left. I, I'm I'm very high on what Jalen Green is going to be able to do this year. I mean, and this again, I don't think this team is set up to really succeed this year. And yeah. like you said, it's not fair to put that on him necessarily because he's not and we've seen this with a lot of young guards devin booker and right. anthony edwards and zach Levine. you i think he's kind of right in that class bradley beale is another one where i mean yeah the defensive on off numbers are terrible for them but i think he's he'll get there if he's got a good system around him where he's not going to just be killing you um particularly right. if he gets a little bit just, stronger yeah j-
3: like just to make him viable like I think that's what yeah the angle is
1: yeah and that's you know that's not realistic for you know Anthony Edwards has a a different type of body and and, you know he was also on on a winning team last year which uh, Jalen Green was not and he's still trying to establish his career so it seems like kind of second in the pecking order of their prospects uh I don't know if you intended to listen this this way but I would (laughs) see it as as Jabari Smith you know drafted number three overall and and I was very unimpressed with the summer league. I will admit to being lower on him than some when he was being talked about as a number one pick. I thought he's a lot more viable kind of as number three, because I don't see that like superstar one-on-one scoring ability upside. And he also didn't hit shots in summer league. He did in his first preseason game, then went down with a sprained ankle, but seems like it's fate accomplished that he's going to start, right? Yeah, he's
3: going to be the starter. And I think and, yeah. To, to your point about the summer league, he talked about it and he admitted that, you know, jitters, you know, anxiety coming into a scenario where you know, you were widely considered to be the number one pick. You didn't go number one. You you fell to number three. You come to a team that you didn't even meet with. There's going to be a natural, you know, chip on your shoulder. But because of his play style, if you want to compare that to one of, you know, Bankero, who's going to, you know, put the ball on the floor and offensive first guy, there are going to be some natural struggles early on. You know, you saw him trying to adapt to a team or a summer league team that frankly didn't get to practice that much. And essentially we're putting guys that are, are not part of the team's real plans, you know, on the floor mm-hmm. and Trying to figure out how to space adequately, you know, find those right gaps, and it was it was it was a work in progress. I think that's the best way to put it, lightly. But his first preseason game looked confident. He hit what five or seven from three. He did some things I didn't think he could do, which was like the dribble pull up, like the KD style crossing half court. I didn't think he had that in his bag this early. Um, but I think he's another guy that's going to make the game easier, you know, for Jalen Green for Kevin Porter Jr. because he's going to be able to space the floor, let those guys drive. Uh, defense is just can't sag off of him, kind of like they were last season at times with people like Tate and and, and, and KJ. Um, and it's just going to make your team's half-court execution smoother because you do have a, a 6-10 release valve that can hit 38%, you know, 40% of their threes. So um, Defensively, obviously he's going to be able to switch one through five and uh, I know these guys they want to improve on their 30th ranked <laughs> defensive rating last season so <laughs> um I think that's that's going to be where you'll see the biggest jump because you know Steven South will be able to put him in more packages and have more confidence in some of the things they want to run defensively um, some some drop some switch you know some blitzing and overall I think you'll you'll just see that Jabari fits what they want to do um right away
1: yeah so Jabari what is the organizational vision for him like, do they feel like he could maybe close some games at center do they think that he has that type of size and maybe ability to play help defense rebounding ability like they maybe not early on but i think they could get there to where he could be that switchable small ball five because to me that was if he could get there that's where he becomes a really sexy pick to me because being able to shoot the way he can and you know run the lanes in transition i again i don't see him being like a primary scorer necessarily but if you can do that and then also defend the five and space the floor at the five and the other end like now that just enables a whole different style of play for this team when they're fully formed
3: yeah and you know whenever he first came to houston part of what steven silas did was he sat him down and showed him film of how they used christian word last season and yep. even though those different kinds of players, the the ideal was the same, you know, a guy that can space the floor, can play the four or the five. And even in some league, I think Jabari played mostly the five and Steven Silas knows he wants to use small ball at some point this season in games. He might use it for a large stretch of games. And I think if Jabari can hold his own physically down there, I do think that unlocks you know, a whole different style of basketball because they have three guards in Kevin Porter, Jalen Green, and Eric Gordon that are three-level scorers and, you know, who are good shooters as well. And if you pair that with sh- Jabari, you can add you know, a Tate on the floor that can, that's versatile, can switch one through four, one through five. Um, you could add someone like a KJ Martin, you you have options to play fast. And I think for a young team that's trying to grow, you want to be able to be versatile and, and be adequate, you know, in those different schemes and approaches. So being able to play Jabari at the five, I do think is a plan that they have at some point this season. Um, because granted, Shengun is not going to play 38 minutes, 35 minutes a night, so it's not going to happen. They do have Bruno Fernando who gives them a different look, but you know, it's all about offensive variety. And if you go from a playmaking center back to the basket in Sengun to a, a traditional rim running big like Fernando, and then you have a stretch big in Jabari, I think that's giving you a good blend of, of style on that offensive makeup.
1: I want to shift gears here for a second. And I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the prospects on this team. But I want to talk a little bit about Steven Silas. This is now his fourth year am i right about that with this? no it's third year with this team and i don't think it's come out exactly maybe you can enlighten me on this of what his contract situation is i'm guessing though he got the usual four-year deal fourth year team option so it seems like this is the last guaranteed year of his deal do you, do you know anything about that or, or are you uh, should we just roll with that that yeah guess?
3: Yeah, yeah but team option um, for the last year of his deal. So,
1: okay. This is essentially, so, you know, the, the, the
3: quote unquote prove it before a pivotal summer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, prove it before a p- pivotal summer, get, uh, elaborate on, on that a little bit of kind of what the hope is for, uh, this team to show for him to uh, get a, a longer term commitment from ownership. So
3: I think the way I, I kind of understand it, if you kind of read the tea leaves, you know, they're going to have, I think you said what sixty-six million in cap next summer. Yeah. Um, they're going to be pretty big players in free agency. I guess that's the hope. Um, the guys that they brought in, you know, the assistants are all on what I want to say one-year deals. You know, Lionel. Oh,
1: Holmes. really? So, so even because they revamped, I think you reported that that they yeah, revamped, they revamped. Yeah. the the group to bring in basically the guys that Silas wanted. Right? right. Right.
3: So, I think this is going to be the year where you'll see. Because he has, and the way I understood it, whenever he first took the job, they kind of hurriedly put the staff together. It wasn't, it was the guys that were available, right? You know, so. Yeah. um, Will Weaver, you know, who else is on that staff? Um, Jeff Hornacek, Deshaunna Job, all great guys in their own rights, but it wasn't a really cohesive staff. Hmm. And this summer- they, they gave Stevens full autonomy. You know, they sat back and said, build your staff. Whatever you need, we'll give you all the resources you need. And he brought in, he promoted Mahmoud from the G League, the Vipers, you know, after he won the finals with them. A guy that understands the roster through and through in the system for t- three or four years. They brought in, you know, Mike Batiste, a longtime friend of Steven and, and a guy that worked under Steve Clifford and uh, Charlotte. A respected guy, former player. Bring in Lionel Hollins you know everyone knows his story he doesn't need much introduction you
1: know yeah they they got those uh those late 70s guards unlocked uh, now on this right. stuff
3: <laughs> so so uh, this is going to be the year where you know he has all the coaching pieces he needs he has um, the young players that are in place going forward, Houston wants to see you know if, how that looks, and I do think you know it's it's never good to be going into a situation where you're, your your future is uncertain. Um, and we saw that with uh, Mike D'Antoni. Remember, whenever he had his situ- his coaching situation, his contract, his contractual situation, um, not being signed to a long term yet. But I do think that these guys they have a lot of faith in Steven. Um, and this season will show. That he's the guy for the job long term. Yeah. The young guys, they love the hell out of him, they respect him. He's come in and changed his persona from a quote unquote nice guy to somebody that will get in your face and will yell um and, and will fight for you first and foremost. But I think losing changes a lot about your demeanor, right? So if you come in as this, you know, super smart, super nice assistant, 20 years in the league, and you come into a situation where you're losing three Four days out of the week, you're not gonna be so nice anymore, right? So, I I, I think it was good to see Stephen add kind of a mean streak last year, and I I think this this year is going to be pivotal in that sense because those guys need to rally around him, you know, to 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 commit to the project long term. And I do think that once the dust settles, you know, he'll be the guy.
1: Yeah. So I think to me what i i certainly sympathize with his situation right where he came in thought he was potentially gonna be coaching james harden i don't know how much was known at the time he was hired about uh james and russ uh potentially not being there uh but that first year obviously was just a total shit show you know i mean that they traded james halfway through and then they had all the injuries they finished like 5 and 41 or or whatever it was and they clearly have not had the personnel since then to really be competitive on the other hand they maybe could be better defensively i mean i think while it's been difficult for him i don't know that they've even necessarily been like below expectations but also i don't think he's made a compelling argument yet to keep his job you need something needs to happen this year Maybe that's incredible development from these young players. Maybe it's taken a step forward defensively, again, despite the fact that they're young and their personnel isn't amazing there. You know, with a center like Shangun, for example, a young center is not the most athletic defensively and some of the guards that they have. But something needs to happen this year, I would say, for him to be able to make the argument that, like, hey, I need to get an extension here. Uh, because, like you said, I mean, there's. If somebody wants to come there next year, I mean, I don't think it's going to be, there aren't really superstars that are probably available that they would be in the market for necessarily, but maybe it could be a trade. You know, they have a a bunch of picks that they can trade going forward too. And so I I think there does need to be an argument made by him this year about why he's the man long-term. I don't think he's been able to make that argument
3: yet. Right. And and that's kind of what was the knock against him. You know, you go back to When everyone thought his job was really in jeopardy whenever they went on that, was it, 15, 12-game losing streak to start the year? Yeah. And the basketball just looked really bad, and it just looked incoherent. Yeah, and that falls on obviously his shoulders. Um, the rotations were all over the place; It wasn't consistent. Um,
1: but yeah. and you know, signing Daniel Tice and and start having to kind of start him and, right, and Christian, right. was, Wood, was, like yeah. that, that didn't do him any favors, right? I mean, yeah. that's like that's something that was set up for him by the front office. Right. So again, I do have some sympathy for his situation, even though I'm probably more right. of like a generally fire the coach uh type of asshole than like most people <laughs> are but and,
3: and steven and steven has admitted you know this season he wants to open up the playbook a bit more because you have to understand you know he's been in the league for over two decades, right? So there isn't anyone in the league that will tell you that Steven's not a bright guy. He knows his X's and O's inside and out, but teaching kids is hard, you know? And and a lot oh, of yeah. times it's going to look awful. It's going to look awful. And, and defensively, I do think that's where you kind of have to say, okay, even though you're young, you know, some of these mistakes were just, you know, grade school, right? Like transition defense was yeah. awful. The lack of rebounding, you know, just rotations, just getting to guys, getting a body in front of a guy. That's what defense is at the end of the day and i thought that they lacked that you know last year so we'll see what happens when you get you know more games out of jabari eric gordon you know guys like take guys like Tari Eason now who's going to bring that energy um we'll see what happens but yeah i think this is the year if if the rockets don't win maybe what 26 27 uh, i think you would have a really hard time Trying to make an argument for you know him as a long-term guy because they want to see development this year, but I still think that's that's possible. I, I do think that you know they can make a real improvement from last season just because of the continuity they have in place. Um, but this is like I said, this is a big year for him.
1: Yeah, and and like you said, it, it can't look. The way it looked at times, you know, where they're they're leading the the league in turnovers, the, there isn't much flow to the offense, and most importantly, just the the lack of communication defensively. And you know, comparing him to say someone like Mark Degnall in OKC, I wouldn't say that OKC has had appreciably better defensive talent than Houston the last two years, but during the period when OKC has actually been trying, like they've defended in a way that Houston hasn't been able to, so. Let's get back to the third guy you mentioned as a, a big focus in camp, and that's Alperin Chengu. And he struggled last night in the preseason game. Not a huge deal, I don't think. But I, I guess my thought is, what does he need to do this year to prove that he can be the long-term starter with this group? Like you mentioned, they kind of want more defensive versatility. They want to switch. Like, I'm not sure that he fits in there. He is a good passer. They need more passing. They need kind of that offensive hub. The numbers were pretty good as far as him Being on the floor offensively, but he also was going up against the Tice-Wood combination for comparison there for a lot of the year but what are the what is the organization hoping to see from him this year because i would say despite a successful rookie year i do still have some questions about whether he is like the guy in the middle for these this team long term
3: i think for shangun they want to see how he adjusts to playing fast his Hmm. style of basketball is more back to the basket you know fine guys open fine cutters pockets of space but these guys want to play fast they want to play in a hurry. They want to play with pace and, and obliterate you in the open field. And I think Shangun is kind of the, not antithesis to that style, but he kind of has to adapt himself. And he's not a great shooter. He's not a great defender. Um, So I do think it's going to be a bit of a struggle early on, especially how their schedule opens up when they go 10 or 13 on the road, which is insane um a lot of questions are going to come up i I think just natural because he's he's like a throwback player almost you know in a modern era and um if you want to compare him to Jokic and stuff like that or or sabonis or other centers that can create for others um those guys can play in up-tempo styles right but shangun has to learn that and has to learn that pretty quickly so i do think that it's doable i still think i understand why they're so high on this kid because some of the stuff we saw last year was, was, was like phenomenal. Like the confidence oh, yeah. himself, the swagger, the, 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 the goofiness. He's, he's a great guy to be around. He's a great talented NBA player. He has that experience playing overseas. And you know, that, that actually helps a lot of guys that's not talked about as much, but I still think it's going to be a work in progress with that starting group. And that's why I think the more you're able to see Jabari at the five, I do think that's personally, I think that's going to be the best in game strategy for houston you know jabari at the five and you just playing small um but i do understand why you know shangun you know is there because he's able to find he's gonna help Dylan and kevin you know because those guys aren't one of five playmakers he's gonna help you know jabari find gaps of space he's able to you know get into those you know the low blocks and, and and the low post but yeah it's it's gonna be a work in progress
1: i think you make a good point about the style of play that it- to really maximize him, you need to run a lot of stuff through him and, and I mean, some of the passing he had is absolutely brilliant. and if he can just rein that in to not be quite as insane with the turnovers, you know I think they I think he could be a really, really nice offensive center but for a team that has struggled defensively maybe it gets a little bit more difficult and maybe maybe he ends up being the starting center but not the closing center for this team when it's fully formed I and mean, what do you think the prospects are for him at least getting to be passable defensively and like what is the the defensive scheme that if any that Can maximize that.
3: So the way I understand it, they want to switch a bit less than they did last year because last year was just awful. They couldn't like Jalen Green can't guard big men. Alperin can't guard guards. Like it's not gonna work. So yeah, putting him more in drop scenarios keeping him closest to the rim because shangun does have sneaky good reflexes like he's able to recover um he puts he does a good job putting his hands up physically he still has a ways to go because some guys just gonna impose their will um but he's not horrible he's not a, he's not he's not like a guy you can't build a defense with on the floor because he does have he's deceptively quick uh, you see Alpi and think he's a slow footed guy who's going to like barge around the floor. That's not, It's not the case. He, he actually does a good job um, rotating and getting to the spots on the floor. It's just a timing thing and an experience thing that that comes with, you know, it's easier to learn to be a good defender when you're not coming off the bench playing, 15, 18 spot minutes a night, right? So the more reps you get with the first team, the more starting centers you go up against on a nightly basis, you're going to have to naturally get better. So I do think um, him, like other guys in the roster, like they have a ways to go defensively, but this is the year where they're going to be able to show if they can hang or not
1: so you those are the three guys it seems like that they maybe have the most invested in as of now but there are a slew of other prospects on this team and before we kind of go through some of those I wanted to ask you this because I was thinking of this even before you know they amassed all these draft picks. Are going to be even more of these going forward? But I think the last what have they had? I think seven first round draft picks in the last two years, and then they've also had some fines with guys like. Uh, kenny martin jr as well uh or adation uh, nicks as well guys who are you know i think at least have, have a chance so just and even someone like a garrison matthews is unheralded but he he's shown a few things what is the dynamic like with that and i mean we saw a little bit of it here too with kenny martin jr requesting the trade over the offseason which it seems like the organization uh, politely declined <laughs> Uh, but he's you know Kenny Martin Jr. is coming in. He's got a team option, could be a restricted right. free agent this off season. Right. I totally understand I would want to get out of there probably since you've got Jabari and Tate theoretically in front of him at that position. But what is that overall dynamic like with this number of young guys in competition? For shots, for minutes, etc.
3: <clears throat> it's tough. And that's kind of what led, you know, KJ to politely ask for a different situation. Because when you have so many guys that need minutes, you talk of, forget the starters. Josh Christopher, J. Sean Tate, KJ Martin Jr., Nation Knicks, now Tari and Tata Washington. I mean, I
1: would even throw Kevin Porter Jr. into that too. He's trying to get paid.
3: Right, so you have all these mouths to feed, and you can only play, realistically, nine, ten guys. Really? You're not really developing if you're getting six minutes a game, and that's kind of what leads to the, the sort of the roster log jams and the minutes crunches you see for young teams. So it's weird. I, I think they're going to get to a stage where like, if you think of the rebuild as a, as a boat, right. At some point you can only bring so many guys in the boat and keep it afloat. Right. So you have to figure out who's not going to be able to swim. So that's where, you know, those tough choices come into play. And that's kind of why KJ Martin wanted to you know leave. And from where I understand that stance has not changed, you know, it just it's hard. Like, He's playing well now. Like he started the last two games, but guys were out. You know, Eric yeah. was out. Jabbar has been out. You know, realistically, when, when guys come back, how many minutes is he playing a night, right? And with where the roster is headed, you know, how many quote unquote projects do you want to keep on the roster that that, that want to be there if it doesn't mean real development and real growth? So that's kind of what you run into as a, a young team. So I, I do think they're going to have to make some tough calls here pretty soon.
1: Yeah. I, w- From a, as a front office perspective, I'm not as worried about it because, and your hit rate on draft picks is usually only about 50%, right? And so to be like, oh, we got too many guys. I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, like guys will get hurt, they'll- shut guys down probably towards the end of the year or Eric we to get traded or something like that like though I think there will be opportunities at least for the organization to assess what they have and we've also seen guys who aren't playing that much still continue to grow you know someone like CJ McCollum barely plays his first two years and he continued to work and, and was still able to be a good player so it's not impossible True. true. Uh, even if you're not kind of getting gifted playing time And, hey, you know what? If they really have that many good dudes, like, that's one of those good problems, right? And, you know, now... if I were another team, I would actually be interested in trading a late first round pick for Kenny Martin jr. I think he's actually, it, it, he could shoot Okay. He's really athletic. Like I think he could be a really interesting player. Um, but you know, it doesn't seem like Houston's interested in doing that or the other teams don't agree with me or whatever. So right, I, I right. think it's fine. Yeah. Good.
3: And I, I do think from your, from your point from a rockets front office perspective, they have essentially all the leverage. Like they don't have to let those guys go. Right. Because if they see them as still quality guys that can help the team in some capacity, City, they're not going to accept a, a a lit maybe a late second or you know what I'm saying things like that that yeah. might be on the table. So for someone like KJ, if I'm a, if I'm another team, yeah, I'm definitely going to. He's a he's somebody that I I see. If you kind of look at how the Nets used to use Bruce Brown and that kind of small ball center role in terms of something that can screen run to the rim, he can do that. Um, He's 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 a pretty good shooter. He's what he shot, thirty six percent from three, thirty six point five. Um I think he hit went three threes last night. He's been shooting it pretty well in preseason. He his shot looks pretty good for somebody that if you look at the scouting report that's going to be the one thing that sticks out of which is to sack off of KJ you know but he's a bright young guy um there's a reason why teams have been you know sniffing around for him uh, and I, I do think that it's it's a, it's a shame if he if he's not in Houston's plans in terms of one of the first 7 8, eight guys i think that's kind of bad for him because yeah. he has shown that he can be one of those guys. There's no reason for him not to be. Um, But you do also understand that the NBA is a business and, Sometimes there are no hard feelings involved, but, you know, you, you just signed Tate to a long-term deal, you just drafted Jabari and Tari, Eric's still on the roster. It's kind of hard to see. If you picture KJ as a three, it's kind of hard to see where the minutes are coming from, right? So that's kind of what leads to all the, you know, the asking out and, and, and the, you know, the, the time away from the team, stuff like that. So I think, you know, it, Honestly, from where the Rockets are, they have no urge to move him because he's part of the process and he's still a talented young guy. So it's just tricky because it's you know, the achy part of the rebuild and the achy part of the
1: business. Yeah, and and they've, um, they've done a pretty good job of developing him. I, I like uh, the rim protection aspects that, that he brings uh, as well. Like right. block a lot of dunks are, are on the basket. But yeah, I mean, that's just a, a, a perfect case study. Speaking of the roster dynamics, Eric Gordon is somehow still on this team. I've been talking oh about God. him getting traded for two years. <laughs> uh, he hurt his groin two years ago. And you know whether he would have been traded or, or not at that point, it, it wasn't really an option, it seemed like. And then last year, they were looking for a first-round pick for him. I was surprised they didn't get it. Maybe they just didn't want to take on... Certain bad salary instead, uh, and then that deal just couldn't materialize. But he's still here. He's it seems like it, he's been a, another business decision, right? He's been kind of agitating for them at least to guarantee his twenty millions for next year, which obviously they don't want to do because they're looking to use cap space next off season. So what are the dynamics around that? possibility he could finally get traded. Any any understanding of what they might be looking for there uh, for a guy who you know he can switch. He shot forty one percent from three. Last year, you know, still pretty good. He stayed relatively healthy by his standards until you know they just shut him down because um but age thirty-four season. what's going on with him?
3: So if if I can play conspiracy theory a little bit, I, I do Oh think, yes.
1: No, that's that's what we're here for, man.
3: <laughs> I do think Eric is that kind of bridge player for what they want to do in the future. And I, I I think what ends up happening with him is they keep him for now. Um and at February, no, they let him go. And in the summer, they go after Chris Middleton. I think that's kind of what I see as the reason why they've kept him for so long. They've been trying to hold out for the best deal possible. I think that they believe that teams will get desperate again, you know, if you weren't as desperate around the draft, um, because everyone thought he was gone around draft and including Eric, he thought he was gone. Um, but I do think that those contending teams will come back around, you know, three or four months into the year when, you know, injuries happen. A team realizes that they need this extra piece. You know, maybe a a team like Phoenix comes back around. You know, Philly's still going to be on the table. Um, I I just think that he's in a spot where Steven Salas loves him. And there's a reason why he's going to be the starter on opening night because of what he brings. The Rockets only won every game. The Rockets won last year. Eric was he wasn't there for one of them. <laughs> and 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 that says a lot for a, a young bad team, which is they didn't win, they didn't win without him on the floor, essentially.
1: So 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 that would make them one in twenty four without him in the lineup. Is that am yeah. I reading that right? <laughs> oh my yeah. God.
3: Oh. So it says a lot. About their team makeup And the importance of A guy like him on the roster Which is why he's still there In my opinion Because I thought he was gone Like three or four times already um, But yeah like he, he brings an example For the young guys to follow He He's easier to play with He makes the game easier For those guys Like Jalen and Kevin And for young guys Trying to learn You want to make it As easy as possible To learn and pick stuff Off of um, takeaway. So I, I do see why They've kept him for this long But if he's not in Your long term plans At some point but you gotta let him go. And I think you you kind of saw how Houston did with uh EJ Tucker and how they did with James Harden, like they. Almost went out of their way to get them to the spots they wanted to go to, you know, which is pretty rare in in sports. Um, But Eric has done this team a great service for a number of years. Um, I just think they want to keep him for a little more, a little little while longer and then they'll let him free. Um, But that's kind of how I see it right
1: now. Yeah, I mean, it would just it would be nice for him to be able to get somewhere where because the type of player he is. He's not, he'll be, you know, mid-level exception for like a good team's going to be trying to get him. So right, right. if he could get traded where he wants to go, where he have bird rights, you know, that that would help him. So but I guess the, the problem is he's not guaranteed anyway. So I, I forget what I'm saying. I forgot I was thinking it was a team and, option. And so you, yeah.
3: If you look at last season after the break, I think the three and I and I hate stuff like this, but the, the three man rating I think of Eric, Kevin, and Jalen, I think it's the net rating is almost an even. It's like a hundred eleven point six, something like that, which is it's not terrible for uh, yeah. for guys for a, a twenty win team. Those are the kind of stats you want to extract from the rubble of a of a, of a 62 lost season so <laughs> um, I do think that there's value in what he brings to the floor um, and that's kind of why he's still here but yeah like the money wise like you know the, I understand why the Rockets aren't in a rush to guarantee because it's going to cut into their flexibility and they want to be yeah. as open as possible because there might be even, even if next summer doesn't bring an A1 bona fide guy anybody realistically on the top 10, 15 on the other markets could be be better than what they have right now. So if you can get your hands on one of those guys, you know, you're doing yourself a good
1: a, Yeah, a, a, a and good they're in style. a position, they're in a position where they could overpay and it's not going to kill them either. Right. Um, right. The last thing I go on before we kind of move forward to just talking about what this team is going to be this year, there is some risk in holding out to him. Like he could get hurt. He could just right. not shoot the ball the way he has the last couple of years. I mean, if it were me, I would be trying to move him earlier, but they probably also feel like, Hey, we got enough late first run draft picks already. You know, maybe the deal just, just isn't there. So, I understand their position as well. Um, let's talk about the rotation real quickly. You starters, KPJ, Jalen Green, Eric Gordon, Jabari Smith, and Shangun. Who else is going to figure in there, you think, as the top reserves then?
3: So, I actually did a, a piece on this recently, trying to map out the depth chart. And if you want to go from the starters, you know, Jalen, Kevin, Eric, um, Jabari, and Shangun. I think Tate's going to be the sixth man.
1: Um, yeah. Maybe the closing lineup is Tate in for right. Goon. Right.
3: Right. And then you look at guys like Bruno Fernando. um Who's sneakily fought himself into a Rockets rotational spot, which is credit to him, given his his career till date. Um, guys like Josh Christopher, um, Dacian Nix, who's kind of you know the backup point guard right now. Um, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a pretty solid.
1: So, so he's uh, Nix is is ahead of Ty Ty right now. You think?
3: Yeah, I think he's ahead of Ty Ty. Um, yeah, if, I, know, and I know preseason isn't the best gauge of. Real life, but it does say something, you know, that Tata has been used sparingly. And um, up until Dacian was out injured, you know, Tata was kind of glued to the bench. So I think Dacian is their guy. So if you want to map those, so there's Dacian, Tate, Bruno's eight, then Josh
1: is nine. So, and you would say Christopher is ahead of. I forgot,
3: I forgot Cage. Oh
1: What, what about Tari too? I mean, that's so, he's, he's the guys, darling, right? They have too many yeah. guys in
3: this roster. I don't know how they're going to do this. <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: that's Honestly, that's. I, yeah, it's, it's I mean, gonna make it's,
3: a lot of Rockets fans angry when it when they see Tari glued to the bench at times, but that's kind of my what might happen because yeah,
1: it, it seems like maybe and with the Dajian being a, ahead of Tai, maybe maybe he is better. I'm not saying he isn't, but you know, Christopher. Um, you know, obviously Tate is more of a vet, um, maybe even KJ, if he's going to be ahead at Easton, it seems like that's going to kind of be, hey, the guys who are here, we're going to start with them just for kind of the internal dynamics. And then with injuries and guys naturally getting an opportunity or ineffectiveness, that's when you can kind of have an excuse within the internal team dynamics to get the younger guys in, or maybe it could just be that, Silas doesn't think that Easton is as good as those guys, and that could be part of it, too. But it, it seems like in this situation, they'll kind of default to seniority uh, such as it is on this team, at, at least early on.
3: And that's kind of the NBA politics of the thing, right? So yeah, if you look at Tate, KJ, I think those guys are going to play for sure. Then you got guys like Josh, Dacian, Bruno, sprinkle them in. But going back to your earlier point, I do think, and this is why this is so key, if Jabari can show you that he can play real minutes at the five, you don't even have to worry about, you know, Bruno or as much as you might, you might want to at the beginning of the year, right? Because that small ball might be so deadly and I use deadly very wise because it's going to be a bad team, but it, <laughs> it still be interesting to look at yeah. um, on both sides of the floor. So I, I, I do think the seniority thing comes to play for sure. Like you said.
1: All right. Let's talk about some strengths and weaknesses for these guys, Uh, anything uh, pop out that we haven't talked about yet uh, on, uh, Either of those categories yeah. where the, yeah. they so, could struggle or or, or things that are they're actually going to be a strength for this team? Yeah,
3: so this is kind of what I looked at last season, and I found this very interesting. So if you look at how a team gets their offense, their percentage of points from different spots on the floor, despite Houston's bad year, they finished in the top 10 in percentage of points from three, percentage of points at the rim, and percentage of points from the free throw line. And for the analytics guys and people that want to, base their teams off for of that. Mathematically, the Rockets were in great shape because they know, you know, where to get their most efficient offense from. The only problem is they sucked at the free throw line. Um, They didn't finish the rim enough and they were an average two-point shooting team. So, but the basis, the game plan is there. Like the format is there. So if you want to look at them in terms of growth, can they continue to build on that? You know, that's going to be my biggest key for this season because, you know, if they can up their free throw percentage to you well, maybe high-end 70s, low-end 80s now maybe you're winning 24 games instead of 20 maybe you're winning 26 because there were so many games that, that, that they just threw away from the free throw line it's it's actually ridiculous
1: yeah so this is uh interesting along the lines of what you're talking about cleaning the glass has a stat called location e-field goal percentage where they basically just say hey if you hit league average from the spots on the floor that you're shooting from what would your e-field goal percentage be and houston was number one in the nba by quite a bit charlotte was number two uh but wow. they were 17th in actually converting which is not that bad 17th is it's not given bad, how bad right? this yeah. offense was right they're not that bad but yeah you mentioned the free throw line killed them and the turnovers killed them as well i mean they're 30th in turnovers right. and i think it's going to be hard for me like i think they can be better there you know like kpj was a turnover machine shangun was just absolutely ridiculous with the amount of turnovers that he had but this is still a young team like i don't think maybe they can avoid being like dead last in turnovers this year, but I think that's still going to be a a, a pretty severe weakness. Um, What else sticks out to you about just some of the general characteristics of this team on either side of the ball?
3: Um, Their transition defense, you know, was God awful. At times it looked like, you know, was standard layup lines like they were just not trying and it's crazy how you look at a team's defensive rating and you don't understand how many things can be cleaned up even if you clean up 5% that 30th might look like 23 or 24 yeah. and if you look at their performance post all-star break they, they weren't dead last in defensive rating they were like 20 I want to say 5th or so Um, they got a little bit better I, I think that getting Jabari is going to help a lot just in terms of it's going to make so many things easier because They were missing that last year Christian Wood is, is is lengthy but defensively he you know at times he just wasn't there you know he's not able to help and, and recover like Jabari can he uses length differently he's more of a shot blocker you know where Jabari does some of the stuff before the before the shot goes up um, and I think that dynamic and that difference in those two players is going to be a big reason why they probably won't finish 30th in defensive rating so I think that's what stood out to me another thing that stood out to me was um just their pace Um, they spoke about wanted to be the fastest team in the league. And Kevin Porter, he actually made a great point to me early. He said, you know, because they're such a fast playing team and young, they're going to make a bunch of mistakes. And part of playing through those mistakes is what makes you a, a better individual all around. But I want to see if they're able to use that pace for good this season or a little bit better than last season because there were times in games where they just looked like, you know, devastating on the break. Like the teams couldn't stop. Them. But those only happened in, you know, small sample sizes. You know, and, you, and if you look at a, a box score and it says 133 to. 102 you will remember that at minute seven to, to to five you know they look pretty pretty good so those things kind of get <laughs> lost in translation so um, it's all about picking out points from a season and putting those positives on the board and putting the negatives on another board and trying to see how to merge the two but those two points were kind of what stood out to me in terms of uh, advanced stats
1: so we're running a little short on time but a few other things that, that I'd point to I mean offensively just star power I mean if their best offensive player is going to be green or kpj who I wish we could have talked about more but you know whatever there's too many guys on this team as you said uh or Gun whatever like that's just you know in the bottom corner quartile of the nba as far as your best player a lot of times you just go as your best player does i think they're still below average from a shooting perspective as well i mean i think they're going to have two relative non-shooters on the floor a lot of the time you know maybe kpj and green can really explode and but when they don't have gordon on the floor unless they're going to dig deep for garrison matthews i think they're going to be a little bit light on shooting maybe jabari can change that a little bit too but they should They've really only got kind of one guy look at as a knockdown, established knockdown guy, at least in Gordon and then rim protection. I think is something just like overall size. Like they just don't have that big seven footer who can really protect the rim and kind of just clean up for the mistakes and communication. That even if it's improved, I mean it's still not going to be that great. I don't think for a young team. So I'm, I mean, as I project this team's offense and defense, I they might be better on defense, but I still have them in the bottom tier of defenses this year uh so in that 28 to 30 range personally just as i stack up their talent and how young they are but again maybe eason and smith can uh and jay Tate can play more and martin can take a step forward the guards could be better so may, i think there is some talent there but i i'm not going to believe it until i see it with these guys defending as bad as they've been the last couple of years
3: yeah so i have them at 27 and i have oh their- baby
1: all right that's uh yeah i've got them with sacramento and utah uh, so who's your who's your number twenty eight? <laughs> your number twenty eight. I'm defense? still going back
3: and forth on uh,
1: Detroit, but um, I think Detroit will actually be respectable defense. I think they're they're twenty third last year. I think they should be a little yeah. better.
3: I I do Um, think they might regress a bit, but, you know, who knows? But honestly, I have them hovering outside the bottom three in both ends of the flock. Offensively, they might be a bit better, but it might not be much because, you know, you're still learning. You still have these guys trying to Mm -hmm. just trying to kind of grasp a full functioning NBA offense. Um, and that might take a while so
1: yeah yeah it's, it's it, gonna be a yeah. bit
3: better but it won't be miles better
1: and also I think that they will uh they have shown that they're not exactly averse to kind of shutting things down a little bit towards the end of the season and you know they, I think they are still one player away as far as this pipeline so they'll they'll be keen to uh, get i mean obviously adding like a scoot Henderson or a Victor wembigna yeah th- those guys probably look pretty good on this team <laughs> so over under for these guys was 22 and a half. I went over. They did win 20, as you mentioned, a year ago, which is very, very low. Uh, I I think they'll be a little bit better than that. It is a little disturbing that they have a hard schedule to start with because I think for a team like this, you're better off having an easy schedule if you're, you know, assuming you're trying to win games, obviously, early on because everyone's trying in the beginning. And so uh, it's going to be tough uh, for them, whereas maybe you'll you'll get some teams that aren't as good unexpectedly towards the end of the year. Um, I'm going to go with... Hmm. I'm toggling between 24 and 25. I'm going to go 24. Uh for this group i think just at the end they're going to kind of get dragged down and it's just it's i'm still projecting them to be a bottom five offense and defense so it's it's right. tough for me to get them much above so, that 24 yeah. 25 range right
3: yeah i have my 25 right now yeah 25.
1: uh do you you want to guess where we were last year do you remember
3: i think i said 27
1: uh yeah i have 26 to 27 in my sheet and i had 24 last year and obviously they were uh they were <laughs> below that as yeah it turned golly. out um, <laughs> all right well where can we keep up with everything you're doing this year
3: um, you know, obviously subscribe to the athletic, um, subscribe also to the ecosystem. You know, my, my, my new show follow me on Twitter. If you ever want to talk basketball, obviously Nate Duncan is one of the smartest guys ever. So
1: <laughs> keep up with yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Right, right up there with like Fermi and Einstein. Right.
3: Uh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll be around. So, so whenever you guys need me and I'll be doing stuff outside of Houston as well. So I'm just, yeah.
1: No, I mean you actually like. It seems like getting to San Antonio. That's probably a good place to like get guys on visiting teams because there's just like nobody there. Because
3: nobody's there. Yeah,
1: Yeah, especially this year, where uh, San Antonio will be, uh, will be fighting, fighting with Houston for one of the lower (laughs) records. Yeah, this is probably is this the worst every year for the Texas Triangle? Like that used to be death, right? Like
3: they used to be, they used to be a vaunted Southwest Division thing every year tradition. But yeah looking pretty pretty nasty
1: <laughs> all right man well well thanks again and a reminder to everyone who's a dunt on Dun subscriber we just added john hollinger we are actually going to be extending because we had got such a great response to it the one-time only john hollinger presale which is our lowest ever price for a yearly membership we will not offer that again we're going to extend it for one more week until the season starts uh so if you're a monthly subscriber uh, please consider changing over to our best ever rate uh, for a yearly subscription sub and thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you all next time these
0: are the thursday october 13th 2022 daily dunks something or nothing in the lakers preseason loss to the timberwolves yesterday patrick beverly tried to bring his floor mates together during the stoppage russell westbrook didn't join as much as beverly has talked up his fast friendship with westbrook now that they're teammates in los angeles there are many years of them being nemesis. but i'm gonna go with nothing Westbrook, who was called for a foul on the preceding play, might have been talking to a referee. Though resisting Beverly's continued attempts to wave him into the huddle, Westbrook high-fived Beverly while taking his spot outside the paint. By that time, Westbrook might have thought he was too late to huddle and it was time for the free throw. Mostly, it's the high-five that does it for me. That's a key piece of evidence people overly thirsty for Lakers drama are overlooking. The Warriors didn't suspend Draymond Green for punching Jordan Poole in the face. Why not? Adrian Olgenorowski of ESPN. I'm told that the Warriors, they put a significant amount of weight on the fact that opening night was ring night. That the players are going to get their rings. Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry, their fourth championship in Golden State. The banner is going to be raised. They did not treat this like it was one of 82. They didn't want to suspend Draymond Green and keep him from that. Now, if this incident had happened in the regular season or if this had just been a normal opening night and they weren't there as defending champions, there probably would have been a suspension for Draymond Green. This strikes me as reasonable. Green was integral to the Warriors winning the championship. The ring and banner ceremony is a uniquely special moment in celebrating that massive accomplishment. There are two overlapping questions about how Golden State should have punished Green. How severe should the punishment have been? What a pu- what punishment is appropriate? You can think Green deserved a harsher penalty than what he got, while believing suspending him for ring night wouldn't have been a fitting punishment. My problem with this logic, though, why didn't the Warriors just suspend Green for their previous two preseason games, which he missed anyway while well, away from the team, and maybe their last preseason game tomorrow, which he'll probably play in? If Golden State wanted to send a message of a suspension while allowing Green to attend ring night, that would have been an easy middle ground. Instead, the Warriors went out of their way to say Green's week-long absence wasn't a suspension. Rich Eisen asked Lakers owner Jeannie Buss who's in her inner circle. Buss. People are fascinated with that for some reason. I could ask you, do you ever ask Mark Cuban who his inner circle is? Or Joe Lacob, who his inner circle is? There's just something about being a woman. I think people feel like, oh, what crutches does she need? Or what does she lean on because she's not capable of doing it herself? I have great people that I work with. People seem most interested in Linda Rambus, who I've been working with for over 30 years. I've operated in the same style since I started working with the organization, and even before that, with the Great Western Forum putting on events. And I build. I'm a leader. I'm not a dictator. I like to build consensus. I like to hear from everybody at the table. And then ultimately, people need to understand I'm the governor of the team, and I'm held accountable for every decision that's made. Both business and basketball. So if anything goes wrong, it's on my watch and I'm held accountable for it. People are fascinated with Bus's inner circle because they care about the Lakers. People caring so deeply about the Lakers has made Bus a lot of money, by the way. The franchise has made numerous, questionable at best, decisions, and people are so invested in the team they want to understand who's behind those decisions. There has been major interest in the Mavericks' power structure under Mark Cuban, ditto the Warriors under Joe Lacob, the winning breeds contentment. The Lakers can't just tell fans to relax and trust the front office. What does Buss mean when she says she's held accountable for the Lakers' decisions? She's not at risk of losing her position. She'll suffer the financial losses, or more accurately, lesser financial gains, but she can just try again next time. As the Robert Sarver situation showed, owners are, in many ways, above accountability. People in basketball operations usually aren't, unless they operate in the shadows of Genie Buss's inner circle. In that case, they're fairly well shielded. Trailblazer star Damian Lillard revealed more about his 2021 off-season meeting with LeBron James and Anthony Davis at LeBron's house in Los Angeles. Lillard via Logan Murdoch of The Ringer. Quote, Like, man, what if that happened? What if I did go? I thought about it. At that point, I was thinking about a lot of things. Lillard added, I was like, if I'm going to ever look at different situation than mine, I'm going to look at one where I know I'm going to have a great chance to win. Lillard landed where he always does. Loyal to Portland. I think it's cool Lillard has his own values and continues to stick with them. There are obviously temptations to join better teams. However, I'm not sure the Lakers had enough ammo to trade for Lillard. Maybe if he demanded a trade specifically to Los Angeles. Maybe. But it's tough to imagine how the Trailblazers would have reacted to something so out of character. Lillard's meeting with LeBron and Davis at LeBron's house sounds similar to Russell Westbrook's meeting with LeBron and Davis at LeBron's house. The Lakers, of course, traded for Westbrook that summer. The Heat signed Tyler Hero to a four-year $120 million contract extension. The deal could theoretically be worth $130 million with incentives. Emphasis on theoretically. One idea how these negotiations unfold, beyond just listening to our annual mock rookie extensions podcast, of course. Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. Hero said Tuesday that the Heat made its initial extension offer on July 1st, the first day he became eligible for one. The first offer was four years hundred million dollars, Hero said. The Heat over the ensuing weeks raised the offer to quote, like 112, then 120, then 130, factoring in potential incentives, Hero said. The significance of the Heat offering Hero an extension July 1, that shows they wanted to keep him rather than use him in a trade for someone like Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell. Once he signed the extension, Hero counts at his actual 22-23 salary outgoing in a trade, but the average of his salaries in 22-23 and the four seasons of the extension outgoing. Simply, trading Hero became far more complicated with the extension. A burden Miami wouldn't have accepted if wanting to trade Hero. The Heat were apparently willing to accept that limitation as early as July 1. Bulls center Andre Drummond has made three of four three-pointers this preseason. Like many centers, Drummond relishes opportunities to play like a guard. With the Pistons, San Van Gundy did the best job satisfying Drummond's desire to touch the ball more often, having the center serve as a passing hub from the high post. Drummond was actually good at that. Poor into shooting have been more erratic. Drummond tried to make himself a threat from beyond the arc his last season and a half in Detroit but he connected on just six of 59 triples, 10%. Maybe this will be different. If not, Chicago could again tap Drummond's passing. Already an offense not defined by traditional positional roles, the Bulls are down a playmaker with point guard Lonzo Ball injured. Zach Lowe of ESPN published the top 10 of his annual league pass rankings. The most watchable team? The Brooklyn Nets. And on some nights, I totally agree. They have the lure of massive untapped upside or the possibility of spectacular failure. But when Kyrie Irving is out, there just isn't the same appeal in either direction. The safer pick is low second choice, the Golden State Warriors. Their chemistry is under the microscope after Draymond Green punched Jordan Poole. Plus, not only do the Warriors play a well-established, enjoyable style of basketball— they're trying to integrate several intriguing youngsters, creating a p- compelling present versus future debate. Georgetown posted an enjoyable video of Patrick Ewing watching his current Hoyas players trying to name 1990s Knicks by pictures. Considering these Georgetown players weren't even born when Ewing last played for New York, I thought they did pretty well. But it is fun to watch them struggle. For anyone, Hoya or otherwise, wanting to brush up on 90s Knicks, I recommend Blood in the Garden by Chris Herring. The Kings installed a bell in their practice facility to honor certain overlooked plays. Harrison Barnes earned the first ring by taking a charge. But when someone hit the bell, it broke. Classic Kings. They have since replaced the bell. Speaking of bloopers, Pelicans forward Trey Murphy III broke up Kyle Lowry's hit-ahead pass to Bam Adebayo, right off the backboard into New Orleans' own basket. Adebayo quickly raised his hand to claim credit for the bucket, which he was entitled to as the closest Heat player.